78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Commerce Gallery, The Culinary Room, Blairfield Realty, Wendy R. Books and Gifts, and Birdie House. Seven eight six four four started in an effort to help musicians and artists in Lockhart get their work out in front of people and let people who live here know what's happening in their town. It's also a love letter to the town that we love. Through many conversations, we realized that we can do more, not only to continue to promote live music in Lockhart, but also to make it sustainable for the artist. Local musicians typically get paid less than $200 a gig on average. This isn't per member, but total. Sometimes there are door deals and bar deals that the artist makes with the venue. And of course, this varies across the artists and across the venues, but usually it's pretty low on average. Mainly when you consider rehearsals, instruments, gear, the fuel, getting there, meals, repair costs. And that doesn't factor into the time it takes to set up, sound check, break down, and head back down the road. This reality can be romanticized in a song, but the truth is it's really, really hard. We're fortunate enough in Lockhart to have found ourselves in a place where musicians, for the moment, can afford to live here or to come from outside here and, and play. We have five venues at the moment that help support the artists, but they can't do it alone. Inflation has challenged all of us, and it's a small miracle that the venues can pay the artists based on the increase in food prices and other goods they have to purchase to make their businesses work. Art has always had patrons to help subsidize creative work, and we want music to be no different. So starting this Saturday, January 28th, We'll be having our first subscriber event at Commerce Hall. With a $5 or more monthly subscription, you get to tip the band, literally. All proceeds go directly to artists that play on 78644. Our show only features musicians that are playing in Lockhart, so as to drive local and visitor money into our venues. So what our hope is, is that we can help subsidize these gigs. But wait, there's more. To thank you for the kind gesture, we're not gonna leave you empty-handed. Thanks to Cat Tequila, you will also get a free drink on us with your subscription. Yep, that's right, free tequila. Did that boy just say free tequila? Yep. And that's not all. Every month, you will get a free drink. I know it's crazy, but follow us on Instagram and you will find out who is hosting the 78644 Friends event in town. Our first goal is to get 250 subscribers at the $5 level to pay each guest $100 just to be on the show. And with your help, we can make that happen. So don't forget to tip the band. Their music is the soundtrack of our lives. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Ruby Dice and Callaway Rich of the band Ruby Dice stopped by the studio to talk about their upcoming record as well as talk about the show they're going to do here at Old Pal. You're doing a duo show. I am. You both came down to Texas. Uh, Ruby, you from Colorado, and Callaway, I think you said from Ohio? Yeah, yeah, Toledo, Ohio. And then I guess you started working together how long ago? Gosh, uh, seven years. Seven years ago? Yeah. 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 We in met on pro- in the same project, right? Yeah, yeah. Same project, different projects. We've we've uh, we've backed up a lot of people as well. 
um yeah we started out freelancing and being side people and then uh we uh decided we didn't want to work for anybody else for a while and so then we started working together yeah it made more sense to uh like money wise it made more sense to do our own stuff yeah so you so then that's when the the ruby dice band started right kind of it is yeah yeah we were backing up a lot of people um and uh just kind of playing little gigs here on like 6th street and down that downtown area and then uh yeah, I, I started writing songs, and he started helping me write songs, and it was like, oh, well, we, we ought to just start our own project. And as as far as um, consistency went, as 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 far as a paycheck went, it made more sense to just keep doing our own thing. We didn't have to worry about artists taking time off and those curveballs some artists will throw at you sometimes. Oh yeah, we, we definitely loved working with people, but you know sometimes people's priorities change, and then you're at the mercy of that. So we just decided that we really make a run for it with our own thing so yeah were you always a bass player or did you move down to austin for music or uh i did yeah i um my first instrument was a flute i was a band geek and then um uh, my my i grew up in the church and the bass player moved and the, the preacher at the time handed me the bass and he was like oh learn, learn the set for next week you're the next logical person to um play the bass in this tiny little church and uh, so I thought it was the dumbest thing at first and uh, until I, I, I started playing with a rock and roll band. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this, this, this is a lot more fun than, than old hymns. Um, so, yeah, I, I started playing in some rock and roll bands. And a, a, I had a band member uh, moving to Austin to try and pursue music. And I was like, you know what? I, th- I think that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead. And well, we I rented a house with this band member and we uh, we played uh, for a couple years around town, he went off and he's back in like medical school or something right now. Um, and I, I kind of stuck with the the music side of things. So, and yeah. then once once you got down here, just started exploring writing. Did you write it all before that time? I mean, a little bit, but nothing. I would like try to play on stage. You know, it was, it was just like fun little ideas. But yeah, and I I really especially during the pandemic, really started honing in on, on writing. Um, I, I did before that, but we were so busy backing up other people that I didn't get to really invest a lot of time in that. So the last couple of years has been just mainly focusing on my songwriting and trying to get that better. Actually, I didn't ever really front a band until I moved to Austin. And uh, I started trying to get in a lot of the blues jams and stuff. I was always just like an accompanist and, you know, a guitar player for people. And I couldn't really get in on the blues jams if I didn't know how to sing. So then I started learning, like, different songs and working my way in that way. And then eventually it was another one of those things where it was like I was playing with somebody for years and then they decided they were moving away and I needed to <laughs> needed to pay some bills. So, you know, I started a, a blues trio and, you know, just was hitting the pavement on 36 and trying to make my make ends meet that way. I'm getting familiar with what you guys are doing as well. So has there's been a couple of records or just a... So... Um, two EPs. Two EPs, yeah. I did two EPs and one single so far. And then I, I have a full length um, that we just recorded with uh, Gordy, or Gordy Quist uh, producing it. Yeah, from Band of um, Heathens. So that'll be coming out. Uh, they, the song Let's Get Married that we actually played um, is, uh, is going to be on that album. Um, so, I'm, I, yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's my very first full length. 
there is a perception too about having like a full length record. Like, and I know that for us, like having a couple of EPs, you know, people would mention like, well, talk to us when you put out a full length and, you know, we'll think about a tour or something, you know? And so I don't know, it's kind of that growing pains where it's like, is it like the way it used to be or is it something different now, you know? Yeah. Is it it worth spending the money on a full length? That's, that's a big one. Hmm. To have a box of CDs that you know nobody's gonna buy, or or hopefully they buy you fancy know. frisbees. <laughs> I really try not to like limit myself on on what could come out by by trying to narrow it down to a genre when I'm writing. Like for me, it's just I just try to write as much as possible, and if a set of songs happen to fit into one genre, then I'll, I'll you know I'll take that set. But um, I'm kind of I'm, I try to be sporadic with it. I try to use different instruments when I write, um, instruments I'm not comfortable with, or I, I do a lot of writing exercises like, all right, I've got to write something in 15 minutes and, and be 100% okay with writing something that's complete trash. Um, that's that's a big part of, of that is, is just accepting that not everything's going to be great. And sometimes that day is just an, a writing exercise, you know, it's... I try to write with a lot of other people too, um, just to pick up their their tricks. Um, he he uh, Callaway over here wrote with a friend once, and uh, he was like, "Oh, we got stuck, so we just took a capo and changed the key, and all of a sudden we weren't stuck." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's brilliant!" Like, so yeah, I try to get as random as possible with it, and and try to use other tricks and and see see what comes out. When we first started, it was a lot more blues rock. Um, and then I was kind of discovering who I was in, in, in writing styles and, and we've kind of shifted into Americana, um, especially on this, this next album is, is very, uh, Margot Price-ish. Um, I mean, yeah. we even had a disco phase at one point. We did too, have a disco you know, phase. Like just kind of messing around with anything that could get people you know, moving, and then it seems like with this new record that's coming out, it's definitely more of a personal, introspective, you know, bearing your soul sort of thing, you know. Was Gordy pushing you down that path a bit, or or did you just come in with that set of songs? I came in with, with a bunch of songs for him to kind of pick from. Um, yeah, I think I sent him, what, 20? 19 yeah, or 20? It, it definitely, I think it was a mix of the two. It was like the songs were already kind of there, and he changed some things, but also having him in mind as who we wanted to work with as a producer really kind of, I, I felt yeah. like that influence was going to show up no matter what. You yeah, know? he's very Americana. We used uh, his guys from the band of Heathens as a backing band as well for that. So Yeah, drums and def- keys, and Gordy played guitar on a bunch of it too. So. Yeah. He even played bass on one of the songs. One song, one yeah. song. Yeah. I played the bass on the rest. And then we had uh, Jeff Queen from Reckless Kelly playing uh, yeah. Pedal Steel. Yeah, yeah oh, he's yeah. great. Yeah. So it's, it's Americana through and through. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to hearing it. When is it? When does it come out? Uh, sometime this summer. I don't have an exact date yet, but yeah, we'll be looking into releasing all that. I have to figure out the uh, the um, uh, promotion side of it uh, before I get some actual dates on it. Mm, getting it mastered as we speak. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you.
clocks to the side Your yellow t-shirt Well, it's not quite your size I think you got me staring Daydreaming in your eyes Who'd have thought That I Would be sitting across from you Thinking that Maybe I Love you I shouldn't be thinking about you this way. You're my best friend, and that's how things should stay. But I've been reeling, trying to keep feelings at bay. Lockhart's The Pearl is going to be celebrating its seventh year anniversary of doing business here in Lockhart as being a local watering hole as well as one of the first venues that started with live music in Lockhart after a bit. And so uh, we had Rhonda Reagan come in and talk a little bit about The uh, the Pearl and, and the anniversary party. Well, I purchased the building in 2015 
It took me four years to buy it, though. I'll tell you, I started in 2011 making offers to Floyd Wilhelm Sr. It wasn't officially on the market, but there's this old adage that you should, uh, in real estate, if it applies, I guess, to everybody, but if you can buy your next-door neighbor's house, if it comes on the market, buy it. And so I own the building next door where my real estate office was, and I always had my eyes on that little building because it was so quaint and old, and I like historic properties. So I thought, I'm going to try to buy that. So I went directly to the source and negotiated for four years, and we closed in January 2015. I kind of always had it in the back of my mind because I had three relatives in a family, uh, daddy's sister, my daddy's aunt and uncle, and another aunt who all owned bars. And my dad worked for the Pearl Brewery in San Antonio for 32 years. So I kind of grew up going in uh, old kind of honky-tonk bars where there were shuffleboards and long neck bottles of beer and men playing cards or dominoes. I uh, just thought immediately I'd like to create a space that adults in Lockhart could come to to have a cocktail or a glass of wine. And so I uh, pursued that line immediately when I bought it. I, I renewed the lease with Lily's daughter till uh, July 31st to give them time to find another place. And then on August 1st, I took over possession and started the renovation. The funny thing was I had 180 days or six months to uh, redo it or I'd lose the ability to sell beer or wine at that location or liquor. The reason being a church had moved in within 300 feet of the location uh, since it had opened the very first time as a bar. And so that triggered the fact that you couldn't open a bar within 300 feet of a, a church. So luckily, I opened it three days before that deadline. I grew up uh, in San Antonio, born in Lockhart, grew up in San Antonio, graduated Texas State University when it was Southwest Texas. And I grew up loving rock and roll music in high school. And then I converted to listening to country and Western music and dancing. And so my idea was I envisioned a bar where people could come in and get a long neck bottle of beer and a shot of whiskey or a glass neat of whiskey and listen to some great music. So it was almost immediately that I met No Pay Dave, Dave Massiano, who worked at Hoffman Supply in San Marcos. I said something to him about opening the bar and he said, do you have live music? And I said, no, not yet, but I want to. So he volunteered to help. And his nickname, No Pay Dave, was true. He came over there and he booked music for me starting almost immediately. And uh, based on the size of the building and the stage, and he got me all set up. And he finally backed out of it and I took over. And to this day, I mean, I get probably three re requests a day for people from out of state, people are touring, coming by South by Southwest, and they want to play at the Pearl. So it's no problem finding bands to book there. There are so many local artists, too, who I love to book. And I feel like it's kind of a living room atmosphere. Uh, when I love it when Hollyanna plays, for example. You're also doing an expansion this year, right? We're doing some work in the background that nobody can really see, but the goal is to go through that arch. We're not knocking down the rock wall. People ask that all the time. 
there's an arch that originally connected those buildings. And so we'll be going through there. And then the front doors are glass, of course, double doors that you can enter from the street too. And uh, we're going to have twice the size of stage. It'll be 16 feet wide, sort of like Green Hall, centered in the back with um, entrances on the left and right uh, that go behind the stage to a center hall to bathrooms on the left and a uh, walk-in cooler and green room for the musicians on the right. And then there's the exit door dead center. The plumbing's already back there for the bathrooms, but we're going to have to do some um, bringing the plumbing to the front because we're also adding a 10 by 12 foot bar in the center of the room as you come in the front doors. It's the first thing you'll see. It's 10 feet wider, the building, and the ceilings are eight foot taller. So it's going to So that's easy. more of a, of a full band venue. Right. Yeah, right. that's exciting. We've had as many as eight people play in the Pearl as we know it now, believe it or not. They stood on the ground with mics on the ground in front, not on the stage. During the queso crawl, there were eight people in that band, family band, and it was fabulous. But uh, we've had six most recently, and uh, but it's it's more suited for three or four people. It was built in 1896 by Gus Berkner. He was the contractor that Andrew Lee Brock hired. Andrew Lee Brock uh, actually funded the construction of nine masonry buildings on the courthouse square by 1901. And they started next door with 112 North Main. And so this was the second building that he built and it included logos and the one on the corner there that's empty now. So the, so they all have the triple arch windows and uh, the doors arched and, and windows left and right of it. So this building originally housed Otto Seliger's hardware and gunsmith store. And I have photos that show that. And the first car in Lockhart was built behind it by uh, Seliger's grandson. It took him two years, 1902 to 1904. And he used a shotgun barrel for the steering wheel posts that hold the steering wheel, which was a bicycle steering wheel. He used bicycle tires. And back then you couldn't go to a gas station and buy gas because there wasn't one. So he had to buy gas at the drugstore. They say when he fired it up, when it finally got to run, that it scared every horse and mule and lady on the courthouse square and the ladies fainted and the horses and mules ran and knocked over wagons and one had sewing machines on it and they broke all over the ground. So it was pretty cool. It, I think it went 25 miles an hour. I've traced it back to find out that a bar opened there in 1940, and it was run by some of my relatives, the Nolte's, and it was called Nolte's Place, and it was open for 32 years. And then after that, it was uh, Gus's Place, and Gus sold the building to Floyd Wilhelm, who opened it. He had been working and training in the barbecue business with Blacks, he went over there and opened up a little cafe in there. And I have countertop pictures where, and we found dishes and glassware broken and forks and knives in the floor and the, underneath at the crawl space that th they had thrown down there. But Floyd kept it open for a while as Floyd's place. And then he just leased it to uh, Pete Juarez and it became Pete's place. And then after that, it was Lily's for 30 years. And now it's the Pearl. So we're the sixth bar. But tell me a little bit about um, the the show you have coming up for the anniversary. Well, uh, Joel Hoffman Band uh, plays mostly country, a lot of stuff they write themselves. 
And uh, Joel's history with the Pearl goes way back before I even named it. Uh, I knew he and Angie owned the bar there in uh, Riley's Tavern, and I'd known them because I sold the house they live in. I'm a real estate broker, too. And uh, so he owns, he was working at Hoffman Supplies with his dad, and I knew they owned that bar, so I'd call them and say, let's go to lunch. I need to pick your brain about how to open a bar. What do I need to do? And they even let me go to Riley's and take pictures behind the bar to see how the equipment was set up. I mean, I knew nothing about opening a bar or running one. So without their help, I don't think I could have done this. I kind of wanted him back for this anniversary show. I spent my last dollar just to get here My suitcase and hopes in my hand each story of a soul, of each miner who struck gold Tell me this could be my promised land I will stay and stake my claim Till the day fate calls my name How it's gonna glisten, how it's gonna shine When I finally see the gold I'm bound to find this gold rush town is the only place I've found Where prayer will find its answer deep in the ground The air gets so crisp it almost burns The winter snow will almost make you blind With my gold pan and my pick, the callus gets so thick it's almost like we're out here doing time I will stay and stake my claim Till the day fate calls my name Oh, how it's gonna glisten How it's gonna shine When I finally see the gold I'm bound to find This gold rush town is the only place I've found Where prayer will find its answer Deep in the ground Hard to handle when there's whiskey and women back in town. But till I strike that goat, the good times are on hold. And I ain't like every fool around. I will stay and stake my claim till the day fate calls my name. How it's gonna glisten, how it's gonna shine when I finally see the gold I'm bound to find. This gold rush town is the only place I've found Where prayer will find its answer Deep in the ground Deep in the ground Deep in the ground Deep in the ground And now, a word from our sponsor. So, 
the phone rings. It's David at the White House. And I'm like, oh, crap. Big Jim wants money. And I'm like, okay, Jim, what's up? And he goes, excuse me? It was a lady. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I thought you were a friend that was calling from the White House. And he says, excuse me, but are you David Torres? David A. Torres is a yes, ma'am. All right, we're calling to verify the value of the president's hat to put in the archives, and we need to verify. And I said, yes, ma'am, and I told her the price and everything, and she goes, okay. And then she goes, excuse me, but you said Jim, and I need to make sure there's nothing left unturned on this conversation. You thought I was Big Jim, what does that mean? And she goes, is there something I need to know of? Because this is a president. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, street lingo, friends of ours call the White House. It really means the penitentiary. And she goes, so you're saying street lingo out there is called the White House really means sometimes the penitentiary? And I said, yeah, because the building's painted white. And she goes, <laughs> well, okay, well, I just needed to verify and clear the air because the whole family of Texas Hatters has security clearance and y'all have all been checked out. Come on down to Texas Hatters where we top the best. We had an opportunity to stop by Rancho Sueño here in Lockhart at Chain's Stitching Store where they make custom work and speak with its owner and chain stitching artist, Melissa Beaumont. My name is Melissa and I own Rancho Sueño Chain Stitch in Lockhart. I did hand embroidery and I've had a lot, like a lifelong interest in western wear and bowling shirts that are embroidered and so I would I, I knew that nobody was doing these by hand but they looked handmade so I didn't understand like I knew there was a missing link there it took me about three months of research to figure out what it was of how people were creating those pieces after like that time of research and I finally figured it out and found out it was called chain stitch I tried to find a machine, and then that took me like a year and a half to save up for. So I got this machine from India, and it was a total piece of crap. Like, it was supposed to be refurbished, but it wasn't. This guy's like, nowadays, everybody knows that he's notorious for selling bad machines. But for a year and a half, I tried to get the machine working, and I, I just couldn't do it. Like, it was, it was kind of a nightmare for that whole time. And so I decided to sell it. Kathy, the woman who started Fort Lonesome, she was going to buy it. And she pointed out to me what piece was missing. And so I got the new piece. Didn't sell it, obviously. Um, and then that's what that was. That was probably about four years ago. It was a long process to even just kind of get it off the ground, you know. And then probably another year to just teach myself how to do it. Um, so it's been about three years that I've been doing it on a more like professional level. I worked for Trader Joe's for 14 years um, and I was able to quit. After the year where I tried teaching myself how to chain stitch, I was able to quit. I had so much interest in my work, which completely caught, caught me off guard. This was only ever supposed to be a hobby. Um, so it's a complete shock to me, you know, when I look around and like I've built this much off of what was supposed to just be a hobby is pretty cool. I've also had a lifelong interest in hand-painted signs. And so I've found that I was only ever okay 
at that kind of stuff. But now when I do hand lettering and I chain stitch it, it takes on a totally different persona. And so it's been really neat to see how I was kind of only okay at certain aspects of art, but when I chain stitch it, it's like what makes it complete. And I, it's, it's cool to feel really proud of my work seeing it in this medium. It's been hard earned to do this. And I'm not saying that it would necessarily be easy to pick it up now, but there are a lot more resources out there. There's a lot more people willing to help now also. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I didn't give up, but there were so many times where it seemed like that was the only option because it just, I was fighting it the whole way to kind of get to the point where I could actually just even learn how to use the machine. The oldest machine that I have is from the late, the very, very late 1800s, or actually the one I have is from 1910. And it was, it's a Cornelli machine and they originated out of France. And so they had the first patent on the chain stitch machines. Um, but what's really cool about it is that machine made so many years ago, over a hundred years ago, is the exact same technology as this machine that I'm using right now, which is from the 60s. So even the machines that they make nowadays, they're kind of like more knockoffs. They have the exact same technology. So nothing has changed during that whole time from the original patent. But they, you know, being from, originating from France, they have a long history and like high fashion. But what I love about it is its use in blue collar workwear. So you would see a lot of uniforms, maybe from like a mechanic where they would have chain stitching for the mechanic shop that they worked at on the back of their uniform and then have their name chain stitched on the front also. So that's my favorite aspect of it because it involves hand lettering, which I love. And it also, you know, it was made by people who were also blue collar workers themselves. So at that point in time, people doing that kind of chain stitching were in a bit of a factory setting and they they weren't regarded as artists or artisans. And so I think it's really cool now to look at those pieces and appreciate them as art, as opposed to at the time it was just kind of, it was your uniform, you know? So I love, I love that aspect of the history. It's such lost history, you know, it's, there are definitely aficionados for chain stitch history, but it's, it's hard to drum up the actual, um, like the details of it all. I've tried so hard to connect with people who were chain stitchers, maybe, you know, anytime through like the 60s to 80s. And it's just, I, I know they're still alive. Like that generation is still there, but I just never have been able to connect with any of them. Um, same thing, Disneyland, they use chain stitch machines to personalize the mouse ears. And that, you know, I love Disneyland so much. And so I, I think that tie-in is really cool. But I think it was back in 2001, they got rid of most of their chain stitch machines and switched to a digital format. And it's the same thing. Like, you can't find any pictures of the chain stitch operators. There's no information out there to find out what happened to those machines, you know, if they're still sitting around the Disney warehouses. You know, 2001 wasn't that long ago. You would think that there's still some of those operators around to talk to, but just can't find any of them. I absolutely have a fascination with vintage Western wear. So it was kind of this duality of, of the Western wear 
and the blue collar workwear. And it's something I actually struggled with in my business identity is to find a middle ground between those two. And I've been trying to work towards that. But yeah, they're really like they are kind of separate things. Obviously, one was meant to be really flashy and one was utilitarian. I grew up listening to country music. And then when I was an older teenager, I fell in love with Buck Owens. And so, you know, they had the flashy suits too. Not as kind of intricate as the nudie suits were, but that definitely prompted it. And then from there, I got more into like the history of the actual Western wear also. Um, I don't know, more than half of my work is based off of lyrics from country music songs. And so especially since living in Lockhart and I was working full time in Austin, driving back and forth, you get a lot of time in the car to listen to music And so just certain lines would stick out to me and my mind would go from there as far as designs go. Um, And that was always really fun for me because sometimes these pieces could be, it would take a year for them to actually come to fruition. But um, these were pieces I was doing strictly for fun. It wasn't anything that I thought that anybody would be interested in purchasing. It wasn't my intentions to sell them. It was just kind of, giving a nod to something that I really loved. And so the first piece that really prompted this was I did a a shirt based off of Poncho and Lefty, the Towns Van Zandt song. I just did this for fun, just to kind of like scratch an itch. I don't know what was going on on Instagram that day, but people lost their minds over it. And I had so many people writing me, wanting to buy it, things like that. And I actually wasn't completely happy with the piece anyway. Um, and so I just I just held on to it for like a year. I didn't really know what to do with it. I decided just with how many people were interested in purchasing it that I would maybe go a patch that was digitally produced. And so after a lot of, it's really hard to find who owns publishing and who to contact for that. Like, I just assume that his, you know, his children own the publishing, but to actually find the person to that's in charge and responsible of overseeing all that is really hard. Um, so I finally had some help actually from the woman who started Midnight Rider. They're another really big company based out of Los Angeles that does like completely licensed clothing based off of like Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, like all these huge artists. So she gave me a contact, which was amazing of her to do. And I reached out to them and yeah, it took a couple weeks and I got the licensing approved for it. It just makes me feel good to do something like that and then also be contributing back to the original artist. It has been really hard because there are some things that I want to do, like Jimmy Martin songs, for instance. It's impossible to find out who owns the licensing for a lot of that stuff, whether it's a song that he wrote or, you know, he had a lot of other people writing those songs too. But they were, you know, smaller potatoes compared to, you know, trying to get licensing for working with like Waylon Jennings. So those, and I think those people probably deserve it the, like the most in a way because they are, they were so much smaller. And, you know, maybe there's somebody who could, you know, they probably have all passed on since, but there's, you know, their families that could be like reaping benefits for some of these things. Um, and I don't sell a crazy amount of things to make a huge difference probably for somebody, but it is nice to have that aspect woven in to all of it. 
It's that time. We're going to go up and see, uh, I think Barney Chowder's back in the chopper. Little eye in the sky. Barney? Hey, Steven. Barney Chowder up here. I was going to give you an eye in the sky report, but it doesn't look like it's going to go down. I got David Hasselhoff up here trying to drive this thing, and we got a fuselage problem. <laughs> Large. I guess uh, Barney's not going to be able to do Eye in the Sky today. That's okay. We'll go ahead and cut to commercial. Family. Fun. Lockhart. Long John Silver's. The only place you can get that chicken dinner just like you remember in the 70s. That's right. Take a little stroll up to the old mall and check out the new Long John Silver's here in Lockhart. We got the peg leg dinner. That comes with hush puppies. And don't forget, you get the slaw on the side. You get the slaw on the side, you gotta go for a ride. That's what you do at the old mall. Also, don't forget, Krispies. Remember the Krispies? Maybe that's just a little heart attack. Yeah. Long John Silvers. Here in Lockhart, only by mail. That's right, Long John Silvers out by the old mall off the Canyon anyway. Don't forget, just gone 20, just right by curves. Thursday, January 26th, Old Pal will be having Ruby Dice from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, January 27th, the Pearl will be having its seventh anniversary party with Joel Hoffman Band from 8 to 10 p.m. Arts and Crafts will be having its open mic night hosted by Hollyanna. Sign up starts at 7 p.m. Blood Off Fannies will be having two bins and a bear starting from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Saturday, January 28th, Commerce Hall will be having the 78644 first subscriber event the Tejas Brothers, starting at 7 p.m. Arts and Crafts will be having the Arts and Crafts Steep Cats Under the Stars Grateful Dead tribute later that night. The show starts around 10.30. Old Pal will have Will Southern from 9.30 to 10.30 p.m. Sunday, January 29th, Old Pal will have Tommy Luke from 12 to 2 p.m. The Pearl will have W.C. Clark, the Sunday matinee from 3 to 5 p.m. Arts and Craft will be hosting the Cocktail Workshop with Amanda Joe from Maverick Beverages at starting at 5 p.m. Cocktails 101, hands-on cocktail crafting, and you will walk home with a set of essential bar tools. Tuesday, January 31st, Two-Step Tuesdays with Jenny and the Corn Ponies. $10 at the door, goes to the band. Dance lessons start at 7 p.m. Music at 8. Wednesday, February 1st at Old Pal. Parker Chapin presents Chicken Fried Steak Night from 7 to 9 p.m. Thursday, February 2nd, Old Powell app Hallie and a Trio. It's the residency starting every first Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, February 3rd, Old Powell will have Charlie Murphy from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Arts and Crafts will have Joe Bob's Bar and Grill Band at 8 p.m. Commerce Hall will have Hogan Ellis and the West Texas Teardrops. $10 at the door. Doors are at 7 p.m. Load off fannies will have the steep cats under the stars, 7 to 10 p.m. Saturday, February 4th, Old Pal will have sidetracked from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Load off fannies will have the steep cats under the stars, 7 to 10 p.m. Sunday, February 5th, Arts and Craft will have the clothing swap focused on fancy clothes for the Valentine's prom at Arts and Craft that they are having on the 11th. That starts at 5 p.m. Wednesday, February 8th, Old Pal will have Parker Chapin presents Chicken Fried Steak Night, 7 to 9 p.m. 
Thursday, February 9th, Old Pal will have John Taylor from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, February 10th, Old Pal will have Jamie Kruger from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Saturday, February 11th, Old Pal will have Dustin Welch residency. That's every second Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Arts and Craft will have the Valentine's Masquerade Ball featuring DJ Dance Party Champagne Toast and Light Snacks. That's $10 at the door. All proceeds go to the nonprofit Pride of Caldwell County. Saturday, February 12th, Arts and Craft will have Lino Cut Glass, creating Valentine's Day themed prints for Valentine's Day cards. Tuesday, February 14th, Commerce Hall will have Natural Light playing. Doors at 7 p.m., $10 to get in. Wednesday, February 15th, Arts and Craft will have Suckling in the High Heavens. That starts at 7 p.m. Thursday, February 16th, Old Pal will have Nate Guthrie from 7 to 9 p.m. As we've talked about, this Saturday, January 28th, at Commerce Hall will be the 78644 first subscriber event where if you subscribe for $5 or more, you can get a 78644 friends card that gives you a free drink once a month at participating Lockhart venues. This month's event will be sponsored by Cat Tequila. Cat Tequila stands for Cinnamon Agave Tequila, and it was started in 2015. It's a small family business that has roots in Lockhart, and they warehouse their product here, and they love to support Lockhart. Bevy's is the best place to find it. We're looking forward to that event featuring the Tejas brothers, who stopped by the studio to uh, record a few tunes and talk about the show. We're talking to Dave Perez and John Garza from, from the band, and the rest of the band's here too, so you may hear them pop up from time to time or make snide comments. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for coming in, and I know you guys are doing a show January 28th at the Commerce Hall, right? That's right. Uh, we, uh, we're looking forward to that one. It's been a while since we've been in Lockhart, you know, so we're excited. to. Be, well, first of all, thank you for having us here. Uh, uh, this was pleasure. fun today, fun. It's been a while since we've been in Lockhart, and it's been a while since we've been at the uh, at the hall. Um, it's changed names since the last time we were there. So I want to just uh, talk a little bit about the band. There may be some people that are listening to the show that aren't familiar with the Tejas Brothers. Can you kind of fill me in a little bit about the history of the group? Sure. Um, well, we, we formed the group out of an open mic jam. Uh, we, we were on stage, and nobody really had anything major going on. And we said, hey, you guys want to put a band together? And we did. Uh, and that was back in 2006. So we've been, uh, we've had some lineup changes, of course, but John and I have been uh, playing together since then. We call it Tex-Mex Honky Tonk, but there's a lot of blues influence. Uh, there's a lot of rock and roll and Texas country, obviously. So it's, it's kind of hard to really put our finger on what exactly type of genre we're, we're trying to, to display or whatever, but uh, I, I would like say it's just... It. It's just I just like to call it fun music, you know. Yeah, I like the I like the blend that you've got. It's it's really unique and it's got all those things mixed together, which is great, but in a unique way. Um, if this is in Fort Worth where you guys formed the band. Yeah, yeah. So it was a place called the Stockyard Saloon. They had an open, like Dave was saying, they had an open mic on Thursday nights, and uh, it just uh -huh. kind of migrated into the Tejas Brothers. In fact, it they kind of stopped the open mic. Yeah, a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the musicians that would. A lot of the musicians that were coming used to come in there, you know, every week, week after week, they stopped bringing their axes, and they would just come and say, "Hey, man, we just want to drink some beer and have some fun, and listen to you guys play. Y'all get up there and jam." So and it just like, became your night. Yeah, yeah. it became yeah. our night. It was really, I don't know. I'm just, I was, but occasionally we'd have somebody roll in there. Hey, man, 
the heck, man? I, I signed the list months ago. It's my turn to get on stage. So we'd let him up. We've been in and out of some studios doing some work. At, um, I've been writing quite a bit. And so I don't know uh, if when we're going to put the next album out, but we've got a lot of songs and, and just kind of choosing which ones we're going to do. Um, as far as touring, we've uh, we've kind of slowed down purposely on, in, in the months of January. Well, December some, and January and February, we slow down because of weather. We've just been, it's just really bad to be stuck in Hillsboro when you're from Fort Worth and be stuck in Hillsboro for three days because of ice on the road. So we we kind of take it easy during those months. Uh, but yeah, come March and April and May, we'll be rocking and rolling. Yeah. Did, now, do you guys write as a band or does someone bring in a tune and you work it up? How's the, what's the process on that? Uh, we've, we've had some, we have had some people bring us songs um, before and we, we actually recorded uh, Richard Lee, who wrote Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue, wrote a song for us uh, specifically. And we recorded that one. It was a great tune off of our uh, Live a Little More album. That one is called uh, uh, The One and Lonely Me. It's a great, great tune that he wrote for us. But ma- the majority of the songs uh, we write in-house, we, we kind of do it. And I, I write a lot of the stuff. Um, and John and I have co-written some stuff before, too. But at the shows, we do a mix of everything. You know, yeah. there's some, in fact, we, uh, Dave just kind of shoots from the hip at most shows. He kind of figures out whether they want to hear some originals or whether they want to hear covers or whether they want to listen or whether they want to dance. So every show is always kind of a little different. Yeah. So, which is great if you're, you know, if you're really used to working on a, from a set list, it's really fantastic because, uh, you'll, you'll, you think you know what's fixing to happen and the drummer doesn't. Or, and, or the guitar player might not, or even John, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, we're going to stick to the set list tonight, guys. And it's never happens. He hands me the set list and I go, I won't be using this. <laughs> I won't be needing this. I won't this. be needing this. <laughs> well, guys, I just, I wanted to just thank you again for coming in and doing these these songs with us today and, and taking time to do the shows. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that your audience will uh, dig the tunes and maybe they can check us out and check, check out the live show and then maybe come, you know, be nice and come and you know see see us on in, on the different platforms that are out there. You know we've got our music everywhere. Pretty much you can. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to say where we. All the oh yeah, of course. Are. Go ahead. Yeah, we got stuff on iTunes and Spotify, YouTube Music and Google Music or all of that stuff. You can look us up and our website is tejasbrothers.com.
78644 is sponsored by Texas Hatters, Commerce Gallery, Culinary Room, Blairfield Realty, Wendy R. Books and Gifts, and Birdie House. In-kind sponsors are Willigan's Island, Courthouse Nights, and Printing Solutions. Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page daily, and our story is called The Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to go to find out when our next episode is out. And also, if you like what you're hearing, please review us on Apple Podcast. It really gets the word out and helps people find out about our show. You can find out more about our show on our website at 78644podcast.com. 78644 is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound, Troubadour Studios in Lockhart, Texas. In-studio performances by Ruby Dice and the Tejas Brothers. Other music by myself, Stephen Collins. The Days of Our Lives theme is written by Charles Albertine, Tommy Boyce, and Bobby Hart. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else that your podcasts are streamed. Thanks for listening.